0: Welcome to Victory Christian Centre. You're about to hear from our senior pastor, Pastor Stefan Schlugel, as he brings a message to the church on a Sunday service. At this time, I would also like to welcome our online audience. Uh, We've got people that are watching our live stream. Welcome. We're thrilled that you're able to join in. Uh, And then we've got the people got the ability to... uh, you know, to watch the message on demand at a later stage, so wherever you are, whether you're here physically, whether you're presently online, or whether you're catching up on this message later on, welcome. For those of you that are online, we do have uh, a link there for the outline. If you care to download that for yourself, uh, then uh, you will find it on the YouTube uh, screen there below this, below the, the, uh, the screen, uh, and you'll be able to follow that through to our website and get your outline. Now, this morning, I would like to continue on. The title of this message is God Always Provides. Last week was part one. Today is part two. And the subtitle of it was God's Covenant of Prosperity. I want to do a little recap before we start to cover new ground. And um, here in Psalm 111, verse 1 and verse 5, it says, Praise the Lord. He has given food and provision to those who reverently and worshipfully fear him. He will remember his covenant forever and imprint it on his own mind. Now, we said that before the lockdown began uh, or at the beginning of the lockdown, we felt uh, it was right and proper in God's purpose is to focus on God's provision, uh, God's protection, I should say, God's protection, uh, obviously from the virus and everything that was going on. But now after lockdown, uh, I feel to emphasize God's provision because God is able and willing to protect us, but God is also able and willing to provide for us. And we said that the economic lockdown uh, Virtually house arrest for most people, unless people were involved in some essential service. Uh, uh, it's resulted in a, in a drastic economic downturn, uh, the results of which we have not yet seen. There's still wage sub- subsidies being sent out to businesses from uh, you know from the government, and the government, I suppose, is cushioning the blow. But the blow is coming. Uh, and, uh, you know, as I said last week, government cannot borrow the population into prosperity. There are certain things that they can do, uh, certain things that are good to do. But let me say that, uh, economically we're headed into more troubled waters. Um, and uh, I did say that I firmly believe that we're now in faith territory. For some people, it will not be so, uh, not be so, uh, so drastic because, uh, you know, your industry will not be affected as much as other people who are involved in industries that are really going through rather a shakeup at the moment. And I said that uh, we need to, by faith, um, you know, develop our faith and uh, develop stronger faith for these last days. Uh, this is a good time for us to, you know, to uh, look to God and to His faithfulness in a renewed sort of a way, uh, and to really build up our faith on God's wonderful promises. Um, Psalm 111, verse five, where we've just read, it tells us that our God is a covenant-keeping God. And that's why the subtitle of this message is, we, we call it uh, that uh, God has a covenant of prosperity with us and God is a covenant-keeping God. And, and we also, we call God a prayer-answering God. But the reason why God answers prayer is because God made a covenant with us and God obliged himself to fulfill his part of the covenant. There are certain aspects of what we're obliged to do, uh, and um, that was actually going to be sort of part of my message for this morning. But somehow, you know, it's interesting, but when you you draw aside and you try to you know get with God and and say God what are what are we talking about this Sunday and what so you, you what you try to do is you try to pick up the thread in the spirit and uh, it's a little bit like when people are mining for gold you you find the vein and then you follow the vein and i had a certain preconceived idea where I was going to go and uh and then somehow I sort of felt God sort of nudging me in another direction. I said, well, God, I want to go here. And God says, go there. And uh, it's only people that prepare messages that know what, what that feels like. And and then, you know, God says, say this. And I said, God, I don't want to say this because if I say this, people don't like me anymore. And I like to be liked. And uh, and I'm saying all of that to put a little bit of a disclaimer out there. Um, it's terrible starting the message. Like this is not a good idea, but I'm doing it anyway. And, uh, you know, the thing that I wanted to say is that I believe that God wants me to share some aspects, uh, even, even sort of aspects of my own personal journey and story, uh, even around the area of, uh, of economics and finances. And then, you know, in, immediately that opens yourself up to criticism because people will inevitably, somewhere, somebody will misunderstand and, and you know, say things like, you know, just making it all about you. But uh, I'm here today. This is not about me. Uh, this is about God and this is about helping us to get to the next level. I set out last week to encourage us all in the purposes of God where, you know, our finances are concerned, where our careers are concerned. And, and I set out to do the same today. Were you encouraged by last week's message? Cause that's my heart. That's my, my, my focus. But I'm telling you, I'm saying this now. Um, and <laughs> I'm t- today's about encouragement, but today will stretch us. Let me tell you right now, today will stretch every single person in the house, depending on where you're at today. Uh, it'll stretch us today, so let's all smile. And I'll continue to smile. I want you to, to know me as a friendly pastor. I'm a very friendly man, uh, and uh, and I'm a very nice person. Uh, so if I say things after, like, "Oh, pastor, you didn't have to say that," and I say, "Well, you know, I didn't want to go there, but anyway, here we are." And uh, the scary, see, teaching the word for me is easy. There's a grace there, and I can teach the word. But when it gets into aspects of you know, prophetic uh, and different things, you know, I'd say that's why prophets, when they when they they begin to prophesied and they said, thus says the Lord, they usually stand in fear and trembling themselves because it's a scary thing to sort of head into some things uh, uh, that you know is going to rattle people. And, uh, and I'm sort of a little bit in uh, trepidation right now because I know where we're starting. but I'm just not quite sure where we're going to end up. So there you go. Um, I've been meditating on Genesis 26 all week long. Um, and God's opened up some things to me that I hadn't seen before. Um, and, um, and God, I believe, wants to emphasize some things today uh, disregarding our feelings and disregarding our culture, disregarding of where we've been in the past, because God wants to take us to the next level. Pastor Vanessa brought a message uh, before lockdown or during lockdown about God's transfer of wealth. And, friends, uh, we've got to change our ways if we want to participate in that. We've got to change our strategies. We've got to raise our vision. Um, and we've got to do things differently. Uh, now, some people are quite happy to mosey on where they are. That's absolutely fine with me. Um, and this is, I haven't got a problem with that. I'm just here today uh, to kind of help to encourage you. And really, I'm looking around. All of us are going to be stretched today. Is that all right? We're going to stretch a little today. Uh, it's called stretch and grow. All right? If we stretch, we can grow. If we're not stretched, we're not growing so here we go genesis 26 verse 1 In fact, let me just pray as we launch out and uh, (laughs) so i'm just following the spirit of the lord here and so father we just thank you once again uh, lord that you're in the house you're present by your spirit you're here to open the eyes of our understanding you're here to speak to us and to help us to get to the next level in our faith towards you and in our faith expression to those around us. You help us, you're here to help us to get to the next level economically. You have a plan. And Lord, we want to abandon our own plan and embrace your plan for our life. So thank you, Father, for speaking to us today and giving us revelation. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, when we talked about just uh, repeating a couple of things uh, before I read Uh, Genesis 26, you know, uh, Psalm 111 tells us that God is a covenant keeping God. And we said last week there that when Jesus Christ died on the cross and he shed his own blood, he confirmed this new covenant that God made with his people. And it's ratified, we say, that covenant was ratified with the blood of Jesus Christ. Um, And this covenant includes access to God's provision for our lives. And let me say access to God's provision beyond where you are right now economically. Some of you are doing very well. Others of you are finding things a bit of a challenge, but every single one of us, there's much more room to go up. And when you say, I have enough, let God take you to the next level and whatever extra, uh, funds that that produces, go and put that into the kingdom or help other people. And says so sometimes when people say we don't want any more, uh, we have enough. There is a selfish tinge to that uh, that we need to break out of and to help us to get to the next level. We said that God is fully able to confirm his covenant uh, with his people, irrespective of the economy around us. And we said that God is not limited by the economy of the world. So here we go. Genesis 26, verse 1. Initially, I want to just read the first six verses and then we'll pick up other portions after that. It says here that there was a famine in the land besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. Then the Lord appeared to him and said, do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land of which I tell you, dwell in this land. Everybody say dwell in this land. land. He says dwell in this land and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and to your descendants, I will give all of these lands and I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham, your father. And I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give your, uh, to your descendants all these lands and in your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed because Abraham obeyed my voice. And this is one of the parts that you and I have to fulfill obedience towards God in order for us to get the benefits of the covenant. We've got to believe the covenant and we've got to be obedient towards God so that we are fulfilling our part. He says, Abraham obeyed my voice and he kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac dwelt in Gerar. So six verses that talked to us about touching on Abraham, who is the father of the Jewish nation. Abraham, the Hebrew, who became the patriarch, ultimately, of the whole Jewish nation. Abraham had a son called Isaac. Isaac had a son called Jacob and Esau. And then uh, Jacob had 12 sons, and the 12 sons turned into the 12 tribes of Israel. and. the Bible tells us here that there was a famine in the land during the days of Isaac. And it seems to me that the prevailing thinking at the time or of the day was that if things are tough in Canaan, and we're talking Canaan, that's the Bible word for Palestine, um, you know, if things were tough in Canaan, they would just go down to Egypt. And certainly that's what Abraham did, uh, Isaac's father. That's why it says there was another famine besides the famine in the days of Abraham. When Abraham experienced a famine in Canaan, he went down to Egypt. Now, it's an interesting thing, but Canaan relies on water. Uh, let me start again. Canaan relies on rain in order for the land to be watered. But Egypt does not need any rain. And particularly in the area of the Nile Delta, it is one of the more fertile uh, portions of land on the face of the earth, and uh, it's a huge area. It's an interesting thing, but the Nile is the longest river in the world. It starts in Central um, uh, Africa on the continent, there's water that feeds from hundreds of streams into Lake Victoria. Uh, and, you know, if it doesn't rain down in Egypt, it doesn't matter. As long as there's rain somewhere in Central uh, Africa, then the water will come down. And when the Nile River runs down, uh, runs through various nations, and then it runs through Egypt, and then before it spills into the uh, Mediterranean Sea, it, it flows into various parts in, at the mouth, and it divides out. And it covers a huge area that is highly fertile. So in the natural, during famine days, that's where you want to be because famine is typically induced by lack of rain, but the the Nile Delta does not rely on rain in the Nile Delta. It relies on rain further back. And so all of that to say that uh, that Nile Delta uh, would presumably be the place where Abraham went to when there were famine days. Interesting too, when... Um, when Israel and and his family, 70 souls, when they went down to Egypt to join Joseph, who was already there, and that's a whole other story. And uh, Pharaoh said to them, look, he says, why don't you take the land of Goshen? The land of Goshen was the best land in all of Egypt. And actually, the land of Goshen is actually part of the Nile Delta. So just an interesting understanding when we're talking about famine in the days and, uh, the interesting thing that I find in this story here is, this, uh, I'm sort of, I'm reading through this and I'm reading through it again and say, God, what are you saying here? Read through it again. And then suddenly things begin to open up. I've seen things that I've never seen before. Uh, as I read through this, God says to Isaac, do not go down to Egypt like your father did. Dwell in this land. Even though there is a famine in the land. And God says, I will be with you and I bless you despite the famine. So, effectively, what all of that means here, and the moral of the story is this that, uh, you know, with this COVID 19 situation, we haven't got a famine in New Zealand in terms of lack of rain because that's recently been broken. We had famine, uh, you know, parts of Waikato, uh, Hawke's Bay, Northland. I mean, there's, there's literally famine because of a lack of rain that is now largely broken. But I'm telling you, we got an economic famine. And that's why we are talking about these things, to raise our faith level to a new level so we can operate in the land even during famine days. You see, friend, your prosperity and my prosperity is not determined by what's around us in terms of our environment. Our prosperity is determined by what's in us and what's on us. And I'd encourage you to let that sink in because Sometimes people say, oh, you know, I'd like to do this, but I can't do this because of this, 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 and this, and all of this is going on. But you know what? There are people that are prospering in famine days, and they're not hindered by limitations. They see, they think differently. They operate differently. It's just a different ballgame for them. See, Abraham, let's talk about what's in us and what's on us. Abraham was a covenant man with God. And he had the blessing of God on him. That's why I'm saying our prosperity is determined by what's on us and what's in us. And when I say in us here and in us what's in here, what goes on in our thinking, that gray matter, what are the thoughts that are floating through there? And, and and then what comes out of our mouth? Because it's here and then it comes out of our mouth. And if the wrong stuff comes out our mouth, friends, we are liable to go backwards economically. But God does not want us to go backwards. He wants us to go forward. He does not even want us to trade water and maintain. God wants us to go forward. So Abraham was a covenant man. God made a covenant with him. In fact, I've been thinking that uh, if ever I get stirred up enough to, to do a, a theological degree, and if I ever did my, a doctorate, a dissertation of sorts, I will probably do it on covenant. Because to me, covenant is one of the more exciting things that I see in the word of God. And the reason why I think it's exciting is because if I understand the covenant, it raises my faith level sky high. If I don't understand the covenant, prayer becomes hit and miss. Oh, I'm hoping. Oh yes, I'm believing. You know, I'm I'm hoping. I'm hoping that you know, I'm hoping that God will come through. Listen, if we have a covenant with God and we do our part towards the covenant, God has to come through. God will always respond to faith. God cannot you see the Bible says that God is faithful, even if we are faithless, God cannot be. He, he cannot be anything other than, f- than faithful because otherwise he would deny himself. So that blessing of God, it spilled from Abraham onto Isaac. It was on Isaac. <laughs> I remember listening to a message of uh, Creflo Dollars. And he says, people talk about other people and they say, gosh, you know, you seen that boy? You, there's something on that boy. He, whatever he touches, it turns to gold. People just seem to, you know, they, something bad happens, but they bounce back and they're laying on their feet. How does that happen? Well, there's something on that boy. And on this Isaac, the blessing of God was on him. Because when God made the covenant with Abraham, God says, I'm making a covenant with you, Abraham. And with your generation after you forever. The Abrac covenant is a covenant that runs on forever. We talked about the millennial reign of Christ a couple of weeks ago and things that are going to be happening. We didn't focus on it so much, but the Jewish people will absolutely be at the top end in leadership and in economics and in everything else during that period. Besides us, the believers, uh, is because of the covenant that goes right back to Abraham. And uh, you and I, we partake of that covenant. Was it, is it Galatians chapter 3 says that, you know, that uh, Christ, uh, they hung him on a tree. He took the curse for us so that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people by faith. So our deal towards uh, fulfilling the our bargain towards the covenant is to believe and to obey. Believe and obey. That's right when Vanessa and I, as young Christians, we heard about the you know the whole concept around tithing, and we have just tithe ever since. Never never not tithe. I cannot ever remember a day, even before we got married when we did not tithe. I sometimes got a bit. Things got to be tight at home, uh, but we've always tithed and we've always eaten and we've always had food on the table for the kids. And sometimes we might not have eaten as, as uh, fancy as what we could have. Uh, but we said, no, We the first thing that we do, we're going to honor God without our because that is my obedience towards God. If I want to break into that covenant that God has for me, and we're not just talking about going to heaven. You know, it's wonderful going to heaven, that's all. being saved, it's marvelous, but there's much more to it. This is a huge covenant. And you know, you talk to the average Jewish person today, even a secular Jew who knows enough about Abraham and about the blessing of Abraham. And you talk to them and say, Oh, you know, which was sometimes Christians try to do. They say, Well, you know, we know that, you know, that God wants to bless us. We know, we know that Bible says that Christ became poor so that we through his poverty might be made rich. Surely that's a spiritual blessing. And you talk to an average Jew about, you know, that they're blessed spiritually, but they can't be blessed economically. They will look at you with a blank stare on their face, and they cannot believe that you would even utter such such nonsense. (laughs) Now, there's plenty of poor Jews around, don't get me wrong, but there are some around that are doing extremely well in every field. I'm talking in, in the field of, uh, you know, Nobel wise printers, uh, printers out of any ethnic group in the whole wide world. There are more Jews who have won uh, Nobel Prizes because of their, their advancement in the area of, you know, sciences and different things. And some of them are doing uh, extremely well um, economically. I have a relative uh, that was married to a Jewish man. And um, and that person, you know, and, and the man died. And that person said to me, come with me. Um, so we went to the bank down to the, um, to the lock, lock uh, boxes. What do you call these things? Uh, these boxes, that physical uh, safe, you know, that they have in those banks where you can go there yourself and you can store, store your stuff there and, and pulls out that drawer and the gold that I saw. And they had me pick it up. It's like, gosh, you know, how, <laughs> this is incredible. You know it's just incredible so so here is a here is a secular Jew that doesn't even know and understand what we understand and walking at a level of prosperity that is beyond where most Christians would even dare to think. Hebrews tells us that we have a better covenant established on better promises, and I know I'm bouncing around a bit, and this is the scary part you know next minute something comes out, so, "Oh, you know, did you have to say that, pastor? Well, I'm trying not to, but uh <laughs> See the, the blessing of Abraham was on Jacob, and it wants to be on you too. Yes You just need to know how to activate it and to be activated by faith and by obedience. What's it saying? I say, now? So if you're willing and obedient. You'll eat the good of the land. And the good of the land is not made for the devil's crowd. Let me tell you. So the blessing of God began to work on Isaac's thinking. It started to affect. It wasn't just on him. It got into him. It got into his heart. He started to walk around and he, you know, he started to feel good about himself. He got himself into nice clothes. The Bible says he went out at evening to meditate. And it doesn't say what he meditated on, but people might say, well, what might he have meditated on? I can tell you right now what he was meditating on. He was meditating on the blessing of God, where his prosperity was concerned. He is meditating on the goodness of God. He was meditating on the faithfulness of God, and it started to affect his thinking, and it shifted him. From thinking, oh, famine, oh no, these are down days. Oh gosh, we're gonna lose things. It's gonna no No, he's meditating and he's he's just God says, Dwell in this land, don't do what your father did, dwell in this land. And as he meditated on the goodness of God, and um the Bible says that the Philistines began to envy Isaac, he prospered so much that. They just started to envy him like people get envious. Now, I wonder if anybody envies you with your economic uh, level right now. But it's possible to get to a place where people say, oh, I wish I were like him or I wish I were like her. Let me tell you that evangelism would be easier for us if Christians weren't as poor and as downcast as what they are across the board. Now, I know that some are doing very well but some churches are a little bit like the cave of Adullam, which is where David uh, went to hide himself. And all the people that were depressed and distressed and in debt, they all came to him and they all gathered around him. And that's like, you know, some churches like there's just depressed, uh, distressed, indebted people, struggling people. But you know what David did? He turned every single one of them into a mighty man. They became champions. And when David finished with them, uh, they were david 's mighty men, some more mightier than others, but he, he didn 't leave them where they were. He developed them into a group of men that uh, rather than looking down, they started to look up and then they started to dress well and then they started to talk well and they started to to you know participate um, at a level that prior to that would have not been possible. There's a hidden object list in here, and I was hoping to not have it go there, but it's in the outline, so I've got to cover it. (laughs) You know, (laughs) gosh, how do you do this? Uh, God says to Isaac, Isaac, don't do what your father did. And the hidden lesson in this here is, if your father was not a prosperous man or is not a prosperous man, don't do what your father did. If your father is not a prosperous man or was not a prosperous man and you do exactly what your father did, guess what you're going to get? I knew you was going to get quiet on me at this moment now. I'm a father too. (laughs) Understand. I think part of our job as parents is to inspire our children into a better lifestyle. And every generation ought to be stronger economically than the previous generation. So God says, live in the land of which I will tell you. Do what I will show you. And don't do what your father did. Now in this instance, Abraham was actually a very wealthy man. So in terms of following on with the, 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 the work ethic, the business ethic uh, and everything else, it was quite easy for Isaac to follow on with what Abraham did. So as I say, in this instance, it's, it's, you know, it's like uh, to a certain extent, Isaac was born with a silver spoon in his mouth, as we say. But he took things to a whole new level. I have a friend of mine. That knows uh, people in one of the richest families in New Zealand, and uh, the word the word is that uh, they own, gosh, they own mega stuff. They own businesses plural. They have investments plural. They're quite a large family. There's several generations there now. If I mentioned their name, some of you would recognize that I won't, but some of you would recognize. If I mentioned the, the, you know, they, it's said that, that once a year they get a check for a million dollars for a, a business investment that I have nothing to do with other than to cash in the check. And of course, checks are now disappearing. It's obviously all now electronic funds and everything else. And, you know, I was talking to my friend and I said, look, I says, uh, isn't that interesting? Um, uh, you know, there'll be people in New Zealand, they'll call them capitalists. You know, they'll call them this, they'll call them that and everything else. Not right. It's not fair. But I tell you this, somebody in that family way back made some really good decisions. And 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 ended ended up being a very diligent person to put something together to pass on to the next generation. The Bible says a righteous man will leave an inheritance for his children's. Children, and the question is, what are you leaving? Whew, that didn't hurt. We managed to get through it, and nobody ran out the door. You know, we've, we sometimes instruct the officers, please don't leave any locks or rocks lying around. We don't want no rocks lying around, because when people get annoyed, they want to stone the pastor, so there's no rocks to throw. Genesis 26, verse 12, it says, Then Isaac sold in that land. In in that land, he sold in that land. It's famine days, and Isaac sold in that land, and he reaped in the same year a hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him. And the man began to prosper. That's why we are saying, you know, if people just try to spiritualize the blessing. Well, here it's hooked together. Uh, the Lord blessed him and the man began to prosper. And he continued prospering until he became very prosperous. Something tickles me about this. So there's something in there that I really like. Because the man wasn't about to back off or to back down and say it is enough he just he just went from stre- economically he went from strength to strength to strength you see it says here that Isaac sold in the land and reaped a huge harvest despite the famine because God blessed him Isaac began to prosper and then he continued prospering until he became <laughs> Very prosperous. Yeah. Let's, let's lay hold of that. Just don't let people talk you out of it. Don't let them shame you. There's now a thrust underway from the political left to shame people on the right who have managed to gather a few things together. Don't let them shame you. You know, this family that I just mentioned, there's somebody that's made a very good decision. And they made sure that good decisions were continually made so there's not just sort of wealth that's been gathered and been lost by the next generation. We've seen that before too. That one generation is very diligent, makes very good decisions, and the next generation knows nothing to be, uh, to, nothing to, you know, of that same work ethic and ends up losing what the first generation has gathered together. Uh, many years ago, I was heard of this uh, wealthy man and back in my home country where I was born, because now my home country is New Zealand, but I was born in Austria. And uh, this wealthy man had his uh, son go out hunting with him. Uh, and if you're a wealthy man, you own forests. And if you own a forest, you can do hunting. It's not like in New Zealand, but everybody can go and hunt. Uh, over there, It's only it's a rich man's game. And so he's out hunting with his boy. And the boy... Managed to lose the binoculars, and they weren't even cheap binoculars because this is a wealthy man. He had a very expensive set of binoculars that the boy was carrying, so he lost it. You know what the father did? The father made his boy work for the whole of school holidays in one of his companies, in one of his businesses, and and make him buy buy another set of binoculars rather than, oh, look, don't worry, son, it'll be fine. You know, we can just buy a new one. No, The boy learned a lesson. The the way that rich people think, they think differently than poor people. That man decided he was going to turn that into an object lesson. Let's teach the boy a lesson. And, of course, for the boy, it was a bit free. But we need to remember something, friends, economically, that whatever is free in our nation, to some people, somebody else has to work for it. All right. That's the basics of uh, of economy. You can't get nothing out of nothing. Somebody, you see, government can only give away money of what they're pulling in in taxes. The government doesn't make money. You know, with the uh, you know little exception when there used to be state-owned enterprises, but otherwise, government is is not in business for itself. The only business that government has is to tax the people. And while they are slinging off against the wealthy people who are actually providing employment for people and so forth, and says, so somewhere, people, not everybody understands. People say, oh, the government owes me. Well, actually, the government owes you nothing. And, and people say, oh, I can't get a job. Uh, what's the government going to do about it? I've always struggled with that attitude. I re- I've read through the whole Bible. Numerous times, I've never once come across a passage that would suggest that the king is responsible to provide employment for his subjects in terms of biblical language. Never seen that. Now, of course, we know nowadays government interferes here and interferes there, and there's certain things that they can do in order to, you know, to uh, develop more employment opportunities, I understand. But as I said, there's an attitude and an element of the population that really concerns me. So this man, sold in the land, <laughs> reaped a massive harvest and p- began to prosper, continue prospering until he became very prosperous. And verse 15 of Genesis 26 goes on to say, and the Philippines had stopped up all the wells Philistines. Is that what I said? Philippines. Philistines. The Philistines. <laughs> stopped up. If you've got a, a pen in your hand, you can put a bracket next to it right in there, the devil. Uh, the Philistines had stopped up all the wells that his father servant had dug in the days of Abraham, his father, and they filled them all up with earth. Israel had no end of trouble with the Philistines from beginning to end. It just was endless. Just They were just a particularly nasty people. It gave uh, like a thorn in Israel's side, just forever problems. This time around, Isaac in the early days, it begins to prosper. They get jealous. So what do they do? They go out and fill in all of the wells that his father's servant had dug and they just fill them up with oil. So Abimelech said to Isaac, go away from us for you are much mightier than we. Then Isaac departed from there and he pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar and he dwelt there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that they had uh, dug in uh, in the days of uh, Abraham, his father. So the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. He called them by the names which his father had called them. Also Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found a well of running water there. But the herdsmen of Gerar, that's the Philistines, they quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen and said, the water is ours. So he called the name of the well Essek uh, because it means that they quarreled with him. The word Essek means quarreling. There was an argument over it. Um, then they dug another well and they quarreled over that one also. So he called the name of it Sidna, Um And they moved from there and uh, dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth, because he says, Now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. Then he went up from there to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him in the same night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Now what does that mean? Say, Isaac, your dad was a covenant man. And what was on him is now coming on you. He says, do not fear for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. So I built an altar there and he called on the name of the Lord and he pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. So they're now digging another well. Then Abimelech came to him from Gerar with uh, these two other guys whose names I can't pronounce one of them was the commander of his army and Isaac said to them why have you come to me since you hate me and you've sent me away from you but they said we have certainly seen that the Lord is with you so he said um so we, so so we said let there now be an oath between us between you and us And let us make a covenant with you. Um, let us make a covenant with you that you will do us no harm since we have not touched you and since we have done nothing to you but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. So he made them a feast and they ate and drank. Then they arose early in the morning and swore an oath. To one another, and Isaac sent them away, and they departed from him in peace. It came to pass the same day that Isaac's servants came and told him about the well that they had dug and said to him, We have found water. So he called it Sheba. Therefore, the name of the city uh, is Beersheba to this day. So quite a story. Abraham is now and the money, he's prospering. Everything is going well for him. He's got servants. He's got flocks, her, plural. He's got herds, plural. He's got servants, plural. And the Philistines get more and more envious. In the end, Abimelech said, get out of here. We, you know, now tell us, leave. Uh, so he left. Uh, he went a bit further south, dug another well. They struggled over it, so they all just move on. Um, and then they went a little bit further and dug another well, and then, and they didn't quarrel over, over, over the, the latter wells. And now, Abimelech is coming down from, uh, you know, the, from the land of the Philistines, uh, so sort of present day Gaza and beyond, uh, came down, um, and said to Isaac, they said, Isaac, we know that the blessing of God is on you. We can see it. You are now the blessed of the Lord. And what they re- realized is that Isaac is becoming more and more mighty. You know, Isaac by now has got a small army under him. You know, when it talks about Abraham, that he went out to recapture Lot and, and, and his family. Abraham had 300 and was it 318 people in his, in his staff and his servants that he was able to arm. And, and his son is now taking after him. He's building up a little army there. I mean, they weren't fighting men. They were workers, you understand. But if need be, they could take up arms. And the Philistines started to get scared of the man. So they said, we need to make a covenant, you you and I. And he says, well, why do you come down here because you hate me? They said, no, 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 you're the blessed of the Lord. So anyway, he Isaac relents and rather than carrying a chip on his shoulder, he p- provides a feast for them. This is the man's heart. You can really see that. You know, sometimes people can't prosper because they carry bad stuff in their heart. They got unforgiveness. They got a chip on their shoulder. They think everybody's against them. They, they think they're part of the wrong race, or another race is against them. It's just all of this nonsense. Uh, as I say, it's not what it's not what many times what's around people. It's what in what's in people that hinders them or what motivates them to move forward. So Isaac swears a. Uh, a vow, and so did they. And then as soon as these guys are gone, Isaac's servants come to him and they say, you know, Isaac, that well that we have dug, the last one, well, we found water again. Um, so he called it Sheba. And uh, the word Shabbat means two things. It means either oath, because they swore an oath around there, but it also means seven. All right. So he called the well oath or the word seven, the number seven. Keep that number seven in mind because we'll come back to this. Now, let's do a quick summary flyer with this whole uh, portion that we've just read. And let me say this. The servants that dug a well in that part of the world, a well means prosperity. All right, because by now he's further south. Uh, he's in the what they call the Negev Desert where You know, rainfall is very low at the best of times, but if you got a well, you're in the money. You know, the Philistines tried to stop up Isaac's uh, uh, blessing by filling up the wells that his father had dug. And he just said, okay, you guys want it. I'm going to move on. And uh, they became very jealous and they threatened him and all. um, But still, he dug another well. And uh, in the end, when he made the covenant with them, his servants came. They said, guess what, Isaac, we have found water. Water is prosperity in that part of the world. In fact, for that matter, and people are farming in New Zealand. Water is prosperity. There's no water. There's no prosperity. We understand that. Now, I have a proposition that I want to throw out there, and this is how God stirred my heart. Um and sort of uh, highlighted some things to to me, uh, that each well represents a business. You know, sometimes we say, you know, have you met so-and-so? He's a businessman or she's a businesswoman. You know, they have a business and that's wonderful. But Isaac had more than one business because every well is a business. Every well, you know, the land's already before them. Uh, There was oodles of land. Grass virtually grows by itself. Isaac did sow in the land. He probably sowed grain and he had a massive uh, harvest from that. But as soon as he dug a well and he found water, that became another business. He was able to dedicate that portion of the land to another uh, group of flocks, another group of servants, and it was his own well. There was nobody else coming in that was going to drain it out for him. It was his own business. You know, Isaac wasn't satisfied somehow when he began to prosper. People say, well, I've got a good job. I'm doing okay. You know, who would want more? Well, God's got more for you. God's got more for you. Isaac continued to apply himself. And he continued to prosper until he became very prosperous. Can I suggest that Isaac had a really good work ethic? Really good work ethic. He's just a worker. And he got his boys working for him. And he housed them. He fed them. He was a good, I believe he was a good em- employer. He looked after his staff well. Um, and so what I'm saying here, friends, is do not limit yourself in God. God's got more than what you're experiencing right now. It's interesting. When I was in, uh, Bible college, uh, back in the early eighties, Bas Vanessa and I did Bible college together. And I had the opportunity to go on a mission trip with a number of the students there uh, as, I guess, part of our practical training and so forth. And this mission trip happened to be, uh, to the, to the nation of the Philippines. So we're not talking about Philippians. It's the Philippines. Okay. Um, so we went up, we landed in, uh, Manila and then spread out a little bit and did some ministry around the place and so forth and traveled to some beautiful places, beautiful place and beautiful people. I remember specifically be were at a pastor's conference and they asked us to be there and to minister there a little bit. And uh, I remember there's one pastor. This is interesting. You listen to this. This pastor gets up and he's praying and, uh, and he's binding laziness. He says, I bind laziness. And I rebuke that spirit of laziness that tries to come on people. And then the following night, another pastor gets up, and he says, "Oh, he says I woke. He gave his testimony. He says I woke up early this morning, and I spent some time with God, and God was rebuking me for laziness. So I will not be lazy anymore. And I've always remember that. I have never heard such a prayer in New Zealand, never once. I'm telling you, I've been to conferences." Across the board, I've I've been to prayer meetings. I've never, anybody get up and repent of laziness, but we have lazy people. (laughs) Robert Kiyosaki, who wrote the book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad just speaking about prosperity and certain principles that people should know and understand. Him and others, they speak about the seven streams of income that millionaires have. Sometimes poor people would want to be millionaires, but they don't know how to get there. Well, people like Robert tells people how to get there if they've really got enough drive in them to get there. He says they they have seven streams of income Um, and they're not lazy. I've been around some wealthy people. Boy, talk about workers. Most of them put in more more work. You know, sometimes people groan when they're working 40, 50 hours. Most of them work that and beyond. They're very diligent people by and large. Because unless, you know, when there's uh, second, third generation coming in where they don't have to put in as many hours as what the first lot did, It's, it's, it's a benefit, but most of them work very hard. And they talk about these seven streams of income. Remember how Isaac called that well seven. He called it the seven. There was something about that where God said to me, that each one of those wells is a business. And if we want to go as a body of Christ, as a people where God wants us to go in terms of the transfer of wealth, you know, your average Christian, if a business were given to them, they would run it into the ground. They wouldn't know what to do with it. Because these that knowledge is acquired, it is learned, and hopefully, it, you know, people that are blessed have have had that passed on from from their parents. You know, my father was a businessman, though he never passed on all that much, and I wasn't smart enough to ask questions. <laughs> so <laughs> it's interesting. Yeah. You know that family that I talked about before, as I say, that one. Check that they cash every year for a million dollars. It is a specific fr- franchise, a business that that runs the length of the whole country. If I were to name it, you would recognize it. Everybody knows it. Some of you frequent there. You do business there. You buy things. Uh, and uh, as I say, I mean they 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 think differently to how most people think. That's why they are where they are. You know, the seven streams of income here, I just threw them down. You know, it's just all stuff that you can find easily these days. Uh, I'm not saying that I understand every aspect of it, but I thought I'd throw that out there because no matter where you are, you could be stretched a little more. And if you haven't even started on the ladder, on the economic ladder, you know, sometimes if you imagine the economic ladder is like a building, you know, you've got the ground floor, you've got the first floor, you've got the, the second floor, you've got the third floor. You know, if you've got seven floors, seven streams of income, sometimes people are not even on the first floor. The first stream of income is earned income, that's wages or salary, all right? So it means people got a job, they get paid, if it's... Wages, uh, paid hourly, or it's a salary, or uh, whatever it is, or some sort of a package. Um, then there's profit income number two. That means that there's some business, and it's not all big businesses, and it's not all corporations. Sometimes just a little home business, just making a little bit of money, to, just to help with the income to get ahead a little bit further. To you know, first instance, put food on the table. And then to try to get ahead beyond that. See, for me personally, when Vanessa and I got married and we had children <laughs> very quickly, um, four of them, and we decided that Vanessa was going to be a stay-at-home mum. Which uh, that was just a value that we had. So it meant that I was fully responsible uh, to, you know, to to for bring home the income and the main income that I had from the job. Uh, so I, I had a a part-time job. In fact, I had two part-time jobs simultaneously at the same time. And I was just thinking back the other day, and I cannot, I cannot remember a day in my married life when I wasn't had didn't have some other involvement other than my main job, because that's just something that I wanted to do. See, there's something that my father passed on to me. And here we get into territory you open yourself up to criticism. But my father gave me a good work work ethic. You know, you work and and you know, and if you, in the evening you are tired and you haven't worked, you're not supposed to be tired. You're supposed to be tired in the evening uh, after putting in a good day's work. And when I when I look back, um, it's funny how God stirs your heart. But you know, when before I left uh, the secular employment that I had and and came into the ministry, uh, I pretty soon realized that I needed to, needed to find something else to to bring in other income because I didn't come into this for money. And the ministry, people don't get into the ministry for money. Let me tell you, not in New Zealand. All right? I soon realized I needed to do something else. And uh, when I was in uh, in my last place of employment, my, my role was for the department that I was over, that I was responsible for hiring for firing. Um, and um, and uh, watch somebody come in. And, you know, employers have an eye for people. They just know whom they're looking at. They know within a moment, you know, people say that the God doesn't judge according to the outward appearance, but employers do. All right? Employers do. They will size you up. They will look at you. And some of the people that I looked at, thought oh God, I won't employ that slob. I mean, they're coming in. It's like, uh, it's like for goodness sake, they're, just, uh, they're not dressed in their best. They're dressed in their worst. They don't look right. They didn't clean themselves up, for goodness sake. You know, when my friend and I, we had that that job lined up in New Zealand and so we jumped on a plane and uh, we somehow assumed that we we was going to meet our employer when we got off the plane. So before we jumped on the plane, we both of us jumped into our suit. So we're flying halfway around the world in a suit. And I bought a new pair of shoes and uh, they were a bit small, and I didn't understand flying back then, and the need to drink water to keep the fluid retention retention down. So we're flying, we're only flying from Austria down into Zurich, and we had to change planes down there. So my feet were so sore, so I took off my 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 shoes, and then I couldn't put them back on again because they were too small. Thinking, oh, that's not going to be a good look. So we arrived there in a mess, as you can imagine, flying in in economy class in a suit. And uh but you know, there's something in in, in my ethic that. Uh, if you, go and, if you go and want to be employed, look employable. Do what you can. Okay, don't get to come. Get. <laughs> you know what we're talking about? And so in this other place, I'm responsible for hiring and firing, and I, and, and I meet them, and then I take them down into the space where I was going to sit down and interview them. And if they're walking slowly, as I'm behind them, or I don't employ them. Because sometimes in the way that people walk at work, it tells you if they've got a good work ethic or not. They've got a name for this walk, but I can't say because then I'm really in hot water. But there is a name for this. So people, this is one of our backbears. When Vanessa and I go out walking, I cannot walk slow. I just can't do it. I'm sorry, I tried. I I cannot do it. (laughs) When I'm walking and I'm on a mission, I'm going somewhere. Even, out, even just walking for enjoyment. Vanessa says, I want to enjoy my walk, and I says, I want to get to the end of it. Like, it's just. just <laughs> yeah. yeah, when it comes to work ethic, uh, you know, I mean, she works harder than I do, so I'm not in any way suggesting that she walks slow and she's lazy. She's not lazy. You know, I'm, I'm, I shouldn't tell you this, but when we all came in after lockdown, say, said, Ooh, who painted this place? During lockdown, I won't mention any names, but we've just spoken about that person. So So what do you do with this? You know, there is that uh, profit, the business uh, um, income. Then there's the interest income. Rich people put some money somewhere to get some interest from it and not necessarily put it in the bank. Uh, but they get interest uh, income coming in. Right now, having money in the bank, it's just I feel sorry for for elderly people that uh, you know that managed to gather together a few hundred thousand dollars and you know put it in the bank and was going to retire off of the interest it goes, now no interest there. Now interest rates are so low, you hardly get anything. There's no point in having that money sitting there. And then there is the dividend income that rich people have dividends. Getting paid. They got seven streams of income. There's just, if one or two of them do well and others don't do so well, they don't care. There's just money coming in. And then there's rental income. They have invested in property and, uh, and, and, and they, they got that rental income coming in and then they got the capital gains income. And so rich people, I'm telling you, they think differently. They're now talking about a rich tax in New Zealand to really tax the top layer hard, you know they're already taxed now. But but let me tell you, you can never catch up with rich people. They're too smart, and what that will do is that will drive any of their business interests off into offshore places. Where they, because they they're fluent, these people are fluent. They can just move in and out. People say, oh, but while we got poor people shouldn't be taxed the rich more. Jesus says, you will always have the poor with you. There will always be poor people until we get into the millennial reign of Christ. On this side of the tribulation, this side of the rapture, there will always be poor people. No no matter how much money you pipe into their account, there will always be poor people because they don't understand what we're talking about. And some of them will be highly offended at some of the things that I've said. So let's us prove our maturity here and say, well, God, are you trying to stretch me to the next level? Then they got royalty income. Royalty income is referenced to intellectual property. So whether they wrote a book and they get the royalty off the book or whether they, that Robert Kiyosaki has uh, uh, devised some sort of a game, some sort of a prosperity game. He gets royalty from that. You know, a, These people, they think differently. And my question is, what, what can we learn from those people? How can we get around them and hang out? The thing is, they don't, they don't spend time with no negative people. They only surround themselves with positive people. There's something to be learned right there. As we get nearer to the end of our message, some of you are like, it's gone awfully quiet here. But in Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 2, it says, invest in seven ventures, yes, in eight. You do not know what disaster may come upon the land. So, in other words, don't have all your eggs in one basket. If you got a job, you got a good job. You, you're on ground floor. You you got the first stream of income going, but to get to where God might want you to go, you might have to look beyond that. Because, uh, as I say, people don't generally get rich by working for somebody. Unless they are on a very good income, where they're able to gather some money together and start to put it into a little business investment over here and to put it put it into that, so that they they can start to gather some. Things together. I was talking to a uh, couple some time back about a particular financial goal that I talked to them about, and uh, and I said, "Look, I says, you know, you two of you are married. Uh, one of you is working, the other one's not. You know, you can get there very quickly if the other one, you know, you haven't got any kids on your hands anymore now. If the other one gets a job, you can, you can." Get there very quickly. It'll not be hard. You can do this. I said, "Well, you know, we can't get a a job that I want." And I was, well, "Forget that right there. Don't, don't don't talk about the job you want. Talk about the job that you can get. Get the job that you can get, and then talk about the job that you want." He said, "Ah, you know, there's two options for me. You know, this to being out there. I don't want to do that." I said, "Well, you know, it's up to you." Um, but you know what? With that thinking. People hardly get on the ground floor with what we're discussing here because rich people are prepared to do anything. As I say. I remember when I was in one of, I grew up in Austria and, um, and I worked in one other European country before I then finally came to New Zealand. And I was in my suit when I came and had a little suitcase with me. Um, in fact, I remember when Vanessa and I left the South Island where we were working together. You know, when I left Europe, everything that I owned was in my little suitcase. Uh, and when we left the South Island, we had a utility vehicle. Everything that we owned was in the back of our vehicle there. And somehow... Um, you know, there is something about people seeing opportunities before them and, and, and stepping into the opportunities that are there. Not everybody sees it. But, you know, in fact, we got, uh, when we talked about laziness before you get whole, there are some nations that are by, by the, na- the national standards, they're lazy nations. And then there are some nations that are very diligent. We're getting people coming into New Zealand, and then within 5, 10 years they bounce back and they came with nothing and next minute they're, they're off. And then sometimes people resent that. In fact, we've got, we got ethnic trouble going on in some nations around the world, I could name a few, where the locals are generally lazy. They sit around, they smoke dope all day and they giggle and laugh. And then there's another minority group there and they're working and they're going hard out. And next minute, you know, they're in charge and then people resent it. You know, there's certain causes for poverty and laziness is most certainly one of them. And there's an area there where, as I say, uh, (laughs) sometimes I feel like repeating that prayer that this Filipino pastor prayed and say, I bind that spirit of laziness on people. Don't want to do this. Don't want to do that. I know of, uh, some folk in business uh, who do sort of major employment. Uh, and one of them said to me, he's in an area where there's typically seasonal work going on. He says, this is a sad, this is a sad story, but I'll tell it to you anyway. He says, I no longer employ locals. Don't, don't employ them anymore. In that area, there's sort of uh, seasonal workers coming through, people that are on their OE from other countries. He says, they're the people that I employ. Because when I employ them, they will turn up in the morning. The locals sometimes don't turn up or they ring me, say, oh, I'm not well today, I'm not coming in. Or they say, oh, I want to leave early today and I want next week off because, my, you know, the kids have got a birthday. And he says, I don't employ locals anymore. You know, that's a sad thing. But here's opportunities there uh, before them. And then a friend of mine, another friend that's, gosh, talking employing dozens and dozens of people, he says, uh he says, I had to let some people go with that lockdown. I just couldn't, couldn't hold it. Uh, he says, I had to let some people go. He says, now I'm so busy again, I'm trying to employ some people. Uh, he says, I can't find hardly anybody. I said, well, why not reemploy Same people that worked for you before. Now he says, they, you know, they want the weekend off. They don't want to work uh, early in the morning. They don't want to do this. You know, there's people turning up with stipulations. Friend, you can't get rich with that attitude. You just can't do it. There needs to be a mega shift in some people's lives in order to get to where God wants them to go. And one of those is to have a good work ethic. Put in a good day's work and work the fastest that you can. Don't go the slowest that you can. Work the fastest that you can. Be diligent. In fact, I want to wind down. I want to tell you a few Bs and a few don't Bs and a few haves. Um, and I'm hoping that that will help us all. The first one is be diligent. You know, Proverbs uh, uh, speaks about, in fact, Proverbs speaks about everything we're discussing here today. Proverbs is filled with what we're talking about today. It speaks about the lazy people. It says, go to the end, you slaggard, and learn a lesson. That the end, even not having an overseer or over a leader over them, they work diligently all summer to gather the harvest so that they got something to eat during wintertime. So there's like, it's just all there. Proverbs 12, verse 24, it's not a new outline, but it says that the hand of the diligent will be a rule. So in other words, a diligent person will end up in leadership. He'll end up the supervisor. He will somehow, he will rise. It's like they say cream, you know, you got milk and cream. The cream always rises to the top. Diligent people always rise to the top. (laughs) An interesting thing was that when the call of God began to stir in my life, you know, as a young man, and I'd just gotten to the top of my game or near near the top, and I was just in the money now. And God pulled me out of that, and then I took a a considerable hit in my income. And that's why I said, uh, so I'm talking to you about different streams of income because I soon realized, I said, we can't just rely on this here. You know, you have no idea the number of uh, pastors, kids up and down the country that are sour over the ministry because they've seen their parents struggle. And that's not. I'm not saying that that's the church's fault. I'm saying that there's a systemic problem. There's a major problem. And I soon realized that uh, we needed to do something else and create some other income streams outside of the ministry. You see, here's a hypothetical story, purely hypothetical. If somebody were to come to my house, you know, drive up, and look up on the hill at my house, and say, wow, is that the pastor's house? Oh, surely not. So they drive a bit further up, they come around, they go down the driveway. It was. We were just looking at the pastor's house from the bottom of the hill. You know, we had a an acquaintance of ours. He called it the castle <laughs> way back. It's like, I always call it the castle. So this person comes to my house, hypothetical. This person comes to my house, knocks on the door, say, come in. You know, come on through, and they come in, and they look around, and. Uh, you know, they think and they look around and say, how many bedrooms do you have, Pastor? Well, I've got a few. I don't know exactly how many. I can't immediately tell you, honestly. Uh, I'm, I'm not saying we've got dozens and dozens, but we've got a few more than most average houses. If somebody turns up at my doorstep, I can house them immediately. I've said to some people over the years in our church, he says, you can, if you've got problems at home, you can turn up at my house day or night. I can immediately put you into a bedroom. So this person walks around, and after a while they say, Pastor, would you think that this is a a little bit above average? I'd say, well, yeah, that would be a good description of it. It is a little bit above average. It is a little bit above average from a, say, two-bedroom flat or three-bedroom house. It is a little bit above that. And the person says, well, Pastor, do you think that that's right? You as a pastor, that you live better than many people in your congregation? You know what I would do? I'd say, I'll turn the question around, and I'd say, look, if I have an above-average work ethic, and my wife doesn't, I'm, I'm trying to sli- slow her down. Some of you are trying to get your spouse going. I'm trying to slow her down. It's just, if I've got a, an above-average work ethic, and, and, and if I'm going at an above-average pace, and I make above-average good decisions, would it not be right for me to be in an above-average house? honestly, I think a lot. Sometimes I'm real quiet. I think a lot. And sometimes people say, you didn't teach us anything. I say, you didn't ask me anything. You know, around this area, you don't get many questions. People sometimes only think. You know, I go down to the mall, and I know we're now in in the deep of it. I go down to the mall, and the fact that, you know, that I work on a Saturday, I get Monday off. So Monday is a workday for most people. I go down to the mall. And I might quickly start in, you know, I get what I want and then I'm out again and I don't particularly enjoy them all. But I see people moseying around in there and they're looking and then they go slow and think, where do all these people come? How come they're not at work? Now, I know that there's other people that do shift work like me and they work weekends, but, but they're not all working. At work. Why are they all in here? And then you see them, they go all and they buy takeaways and they eat food that's not good for them but buy and pay for it with money they haven't got uh, and that they shouldn't be spending that, as I say. It's, that's how I think. I think, how does that work? I go into some places like, gosh. You know, when our kids were small and they were all at school, there was a treat that they looked forward to. Um, and that was at the end of the school term, Vanessa will take them to McDonald's. Every 10 weeks, McDonald's once. And then not again for 10 weeks. People say, oh, can we have fish and chips tonight? No, we don't buy fish and chips. We do occasionally now. In fact, we've done a couple of times. <laughs> but when I look at all of this, you get in, you buy fish and chips, and oh, I'll have a couple of those, and i have a couple of these, and, and this, and this, and this, and I'm looking at all of that, and then at the look at the receipt uh, which, uh, which I get. Uh, which, by the way, we keep receipts because we manage our money very well. People say, oh, can I can't have a receipt. They look at you, look, what's wrong with you? I say, I want that piece of paper. I want to know where my money goes. <laughs> and, uh, and then I look at this receipt and think, gosh, you know, we have got one meal for the family. I can take the same money and go to the supermarket. And if I'm wise, I can feed my family for two, three days with that same money. So, I told you at the beginning that this message wasn't about me. It's not about me, but I'm just, I'm just saying, I believe some people, if, if, if God wants to maneuver them into a place, they need to consider some of these things. This is not your standard preaching. This is not something that I enjoy doing. Most certainly not me coming in from the outside and, and sort of, you know, suggesting that, uh, that, uh, the locals are lazy. Most of them are not, but some are. So be diligent, be industrious, be resourceful, and be frugal. It's funny how people sometimes play rich before they get rich. You you, you can't just do a big spend up and you haven't got the money, don't spend it. Don't have consumer debt. You don't need a big flat flash flat screen TV when the other one will do. And 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 until such time do you get some of those other income streams going, you don't need to have the latest and the greatest. Be generous. The soul of the generous will be made rich, Proverbs tells us. Then don't be lazy. Don't lavish yourself. Don't be overly cautious. Sometimes an overcautiousness. Vanessa's parents were very diligent people, but they limited themselves because they were so cautious. You know, Peter Daniels, I close very shortly. Peter Daniels, who is a, uh, uh, an author, a speaker, a Christian businessman, a mentor, he says, "Success is the ability to do it, to endure pain. If you can't endure pain, and you can't be stretched, as I said, there are times in our lives when I look at our banking, uh, and I look at everything that we got going on there in terms of uh, money. And I'm not talking about money that we got sitting in there. But I'm talking about the debt." that's sitting there just to get ahead in life and to do something. You know, when you're getting to a figure of debt over seven figures, it can be a bit scary. And then you don't want to slow down because, I mean, if this thing goes goes wrong, you lose everything that you work for. But rich people, that, it doesn't bother them. They go to sleep, they're, they're at peace, they're not bothered by it. So let's not be overly cautious, heaven above average work ethic, and make above average decisions, make good decisions, and you will rise to the top. Luke chapter 16, verse 8, it says, the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. I don't believe we speak about money enough in church. I believe that there's a strong need for people to be discipled in all areas of their spiritual walk with the Lord, but people need to be discipled even in the area of economics and finance. I believe, I, I believe that there will be room in our, in our church to have a small group with just, uh, you know, we call it a millionaire's club or something, or a businessman's club, people, business, people in business coming together to encourage each other and to see how they can, you know, support each other to get to the next level and then drag other people along. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for a great day. Thank you, Lord, for your grace in our lives. Lord, that like Isaac, we are unoffendable. We don't get offended by things that are said. We don't harbor resentments towards the people that might have wronged us. That Lord, he even created a feast for them. How amazing is that? Help us to have a good attitude. Help us to learn some of the things that we've discussed and talked about today and help us to get to the next level. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for watching Victory Christian Center. For more content, please subscribe to our YouTube channel or you can subscribe to our podcasts on Spotify, iTunes, or Google Podcasts. Check out our website at victory.net.nz. We'll see you again soon.